This is uh, this is not a new one, a newish. I suppose it's a relation of what happened after we left here on the last tour, and we went to Japan, Hong Kong, Bangkok, Bangkok, uh, Madras, Bombay, Kuwait. And I got some good hashish too. Uh, but I'm never advocating a thing like that. This is just a vibe that we picked up on the way about people in general. It's got nothing to do with... Everybody starts taking a picture when you say hashish. <laughs> it's just called The Song Remains the Same. My name is Mark McFall. You are listening to the Zepp Fan All Things Led Zeppelin podcast. This is episode eight. Today we have with us Eric Levy. Also known as Led Zepp Film on YouTube and various other online forums, Eric has been a huge contributor to the Zeppelin world for quite some time. I guess you could consider him the next generation collector. He is well known for his world-class video syncing to 8mm film and has joined forces with the Dogs of Doom, which has been a huge contributor to liberating audio and video. Eric is with us today. Eric, thank you for joining me today. How's everything going? Pretty well, Mark. Thanks for having me on the show. Of course, of course. And I think the cool thing is I've known you for actually a long time, you know, trying to think back on how many years I've, I've talked to you. It's always been via email or direct message. So I think this is our first conversation over the phone. So it should be a good one. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. Yep. Well, anything talking Zeppelin is. And I, I could tell you're a big fan just like I am. So it should be good. Other than Led Zeppelin, before we dive into it, I mean, do you collect any other bands? Are you into any other hobbies? Um, mostly Zeppelin. Um, I mean, you know, compared to most of your guests on the show, I'm, I'm quite young. I'm 22 years old. Nice. So Zeppelin's really the only thing that I intensely collect. I'm a fan of, you know, bands from the era. I love the Beatles, the Stones, the Who. Something about them existing in such a short time period that what's, what's the way to describe it? The best way to describe it is that the time period is so small, all of this memorabilia and all the, all the film and the audio comes from just that era like i think it's different than collecting a band like the rolling stones right. and even though they've had different lineups and collect them you know based on their eras it just has a different aura to it when you're collecting something like one right and i think just the wealth of albums they have they only have really eight studio albums right so it's just like it, it's pretty well nine but um it's just pretty amazing on everything is just so good and i guess that's coming being a zeppelin fan but I feel when you listen to other bands like The Who or The Rolling Stones, some of that early stuff, for me personally, I don't really get into it because it has that very early teeny bopper kind of sound where Zeppelin just came out hard and heavy, good times, bad times, and they just killed it for the, the decade they, they were around. Yeah, um, it's such a contrast because they came in like right at the era where rock started to get really heavy. Right. And it's funny, like I've been... I kind of been a little distant from Zeppelin recently. I've been working on um, the Beatles released that Get Back project last year, oh, and I've been kind of in of compiling all of that footage and syncing it up and listening because all of the audio tapes are out there. And one of the really cool things about it is that on one of the days, and since Glenn Johns was their engineer, and Glenn Johns also produced right. Led Zeppelin One, you can hear him playing "Good Times, Bad Times" for somebody from the control room while the is Beatles. Is that are right? I didn't know that. Yeah. They're, they're rehearsing I've Got a Feeling, and randomly you hear, like, the opening of Good Times, Bad Times. And I think that's, like, the coolest thing that, you know, you're working with the fucking Beatles. And here here you are showing off these <laughs> almost no from, from London doing Led Zeppelin 1. And then there's a famous clip um, from a couple of days later of Glenn asking George Harrison if he wanted to hear the new Jimmy Page album. Yeah. And he's like, when's lunch or yeah. whatever? <laughs> but, you know, literally, they 
though, that uh, Led Zeppelin two would top Abbey Road later that year. Yeah, I agree. Well, that, that's the George Harrison clip I've heard on YouTube. The other thing that you're mentioning, I've never knew that, that you could actually hear Good Times, Bad Times playing. So that's pretty wild. And I mean, I just think of the time, too, and just putting that album on and all the music that's going on and how heavy that song must have been. Either you're going to love it or hate it. Right. Mentioning that, I mean, what? so what got you into Zeppelin then? Because, I mean, you're only 23, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, because I, I think I was into Zeppelin in, in high school, and I think I saw The Firm in 1985, and so that puts me like a junior in high school. So, I, it, you know, it, it was always kind of in my DNA from a young age. But what got you into Led Zeppelin? Yeah, so my dad was actually a really big Bruce Springsteen fan, and I think that was sort of my gateway into music to begin with. Like, we'd be in the car, and he'd be playing all the stuff, and he'd have the VHS tapes of Bruce's promos and stuff. And at this time, I was starting to get into drumming, so I was probably around three or four years old. And around that time, my idol was Bruce's drummer, Max Weinberg. And so that was really getting me into sort of the music world. And when I was seven, I got into a music program called School of Rock, and, you know, they played like right. lots of different bands and stuff like my first sort of short of show was the 60s. But eventually there was a Led Zeppelin theme show. Cool. And I I wish I could tell you like what got me into them. <laughs> I, I was nine years old when we did it. And but there was something we got like a sampler CD and it had like, you know, all the hits and stuff. And I remember distinctively being from like the song remains the same, the 76 version and not the studio version. Mm -hmm. But there was something, I don't know what it was. There was something about this band that wanted me to go explore more. And I went on YouTube and I found, I think one of the first videos I found was Nebworth 79, the second weekend sure. of Cashmere. It was the video. And, and again, I don't know what drew me into it. I don't know if it was just the sound or, you know, I, the, I don't know what it was, but clearly something stuck with me because from there it was just like going on the Internet and finding all of these bootlegs and finding these recordings. And like a year later or so, there was somebody whose kid went to School of Rock and I think his dad was a Zeppelin bootleg collector. So he started giving me CDs of things. So I got like Destroyer. I got the two, two of the three Madison Square Garden 73 Classic, shows. Yeah. Classic Southampton that came out. That came out like a couple years before I, I heard it. But just all of these like sort of beginner bootlegs. And kind of from there, I was looking online. I found the, the Black Beauty website, which kind of had little sample clips of film and stuff. And I think that when I saw that website and I saw like the list that was on there, I was like, I should probably try and find all the films of Zeppelin out there. So you know, it kind of went from there. And I, I think I have such a different background from, say, you, Mark, because right. you've been in the 80s and you, you saw The Firm and you were collecting in the in the tapes era and stuff. But for me, it was kind of just going on the Internet and sort of finding these things like it was really my first journey into learning what a VOB file was on a DVD. <laughs> right. Or, how to rip it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember I remember seeing my first one and I think it was um, Celebration label Early Visions. Right. And it was. It, Albert Hall outtakes on it. And when, I mean, my mind was blown when I saw those because I knew the DVD when that came out. But knowing that there was more footage from that, I was like, holy shit, like seeing the the angle persist for a couple of seconds longer. I was like, oh, this is the coolest shit. But then it just kind of went from there, you know, collecting online, you know, joining online communities, collaborating with different people and, you know, making some really great connections online because that's kind of the magic of the Internet as a collector in your situation, having the internet as your resource and finding this, these new videos, 
you know, you still don't have a list as far as what's out there. So it's still kind of new and exciting. Cause like you said, you're just pulling these VOB files from celebration day. You don't know what quality this stuff is or if there's better out there until, you know, I think you put together that master list on Royal Orleans. There's not really a, a master video list out there. So we really didn't know until that. Yeah. And the exciting part is, well, and that, that was really my reference. The, the video list on Royal Orleans was kind of my, my foundation, but then from there, like, for example, there's a there was a film listed on there that was from The Garden in 77. And I'm sure if I describe it, you're going to know exactly which one I'm talking about. It's the really, really shitty one. It's blurry. <laughs> right. it's like, I was like, what date could this be? And I think that was, th- it wasn't the start of it, but it was sort of an example of kind of the, the eye I, I developed for their live stuff. And I was like, okay, well, they're performing over the hills and far away in this film. So it only limits it to like three different dates. And then I was like, okay, like I'm like squinting because the video is so bad. Oh, I'm like, horrible. okay, I think, yeah, I don't know how you did that. And I'm like, I, I think Robert's wearing jeans, so that that <laughs> made it the fourteenth. The Smoking Gun. There's another film. There's like four films from the fourteenth. I don't know how there were so many films I, exactly, from that yeah. show. Watching the clip, and there's a little bit of nobody's fault but mine that shows up on two of the films, mm-hmm. and it had Jimmy doing the exact same move. And, okay, that's it. All right, cool. The film's the fourteenth, and then I moved on. It's like you dove into the, the video side of things, which is cool, because, I mean, that's kind of my passion as well. So were you still into audio bootlegs as well, or is it just more of you had this drive for video, and then, you know, it sounds like you got into syncing, which we'll talk about in a bit, but is that what happened? Yeah, pretty much. Like, really, I, I feel like I have such a different experience getting into Zeppelin compared to other people, where I really started with the video. So the shows that I was familiar with and the bits of shows that I was familiar with were from the videos. But it wasn't until Dogs of Doom and the COVID lockdown that I found like-minded people that were around more my age that were really into the audio. And, and they, they would cite very specific moments from concerts saying, oh, this, this solo that Jimmy did on this song is awesome. And then that's sort of when I really started to dive deep into the audio. So I was more into the video first then got into the audio. Yeah. Well, not a lot of people are that way, right? Because a lot of people don't like the 8mm because one, it's short, it's choppy, it's not always the best quality, it's shaky. But I don't know, for me, when I put in, put sound up to something, I mean, it just blows my mind that it's like, it's a you know something visually moving with the live sound. What was the first thing you synced? I think the first thing I synced was the 8mm film from the first night at Madison Square Garden in 73. Okay. And I think that's picked it off for me because I had we had the song remains the same obviously and I think I wanted to the first the first real project I did as a Zeppelin fan and I was like 11 or 12 was <laughs> okay the Madison Square Garden footage from 73 is so the editing on that is just so terrible right. like it's you have the Shepperton footage oh, yeah, and the, horrible. you can tell like like the, the song will cut and Jimmy's playing a different guitar oh, the yeah. lighting's different one of my first ventures was I can figure this out. And I think one of the things that encouraged me was Eddie Edwards garden tapes website. Oh, it kind of has amazing job on the visuals and it was like, Oh, if you find out where the visuals come from, Oh, let me know. So I was like, okay, I'll take you on that challenge. And the first, so the first thing I did was looking at the 27th eight millimeter film. And funnily enough, I didn't know it was like 10 minutes long until maybe a couple of months after I found out that that film existed right. because there was only like a, like a three, four minute sample on black beauty. Mm-hmm. I was 10. So, you know, I didn't know Bob <laughs> files yet. And, but I was thinking up rock and roll from the 27th because that's most, that's the basis of that performance on the song remains the same. The funny thing though, is outside of like that, 
I used to be terrible at syncing. Like back in 2011, the eight millimeter film for the Bath Festival 70 came out. This was, of course, long before that amazing shot came out a couple months ago. Right. And I was attempting a sync at it, and it was terrible. Like there was a clip that was Heartbreaker, I think. I think I synced it to Moby Dick, like the intro, <laughs> not the drum film. So uh, clearly I had like more familiarity with certain shows, but um, as time went on and as I got familiar i think the first film that i knew i did a good job on was the the black and white chicago 71 film that's kind of close to the band it's a really great film so i think that's really cool eric i mean i think getting started with the madison square garden because you've seen the song remains the same so many times and then once you start putting you probably had my experience once you start putting sound onto something and you're creating it you're like this is freaking incredible man and i know for me so my very first time i ever sync something I was sitting around at my friend's house. We were watching a VHS copy of the LA Forum 77. <laughs> and, you know, the, the Achilles stand where it's like, ah, ah. So you know exactly what that is, but it's silent. Yeah. It's many generations down. So I'm like, hey, dude, get the bootleg out. So we grabbed for badge holders only, put it on Achilles and, the you know, drop the needle. And then I hit play on the uh, VCR and, dude, it just matched up perfectly. And from that point, I'm like, I have to do every single video. And this is before <laughs> computers, so I was thinking using, you know, two VCRs or, or audio dub on the VCR. But once you create it, you're like, this is amazing. I mean, it just you're you're creating something that's just it adds so much more when it has music on there versus silent. Yeah, I was just gonna say, like, when you match up the audio to the film, you you get so much context of what's going on on stage that you just don't get from the, from the audio because obviously when you're listening to a concert, like that's not the intent. The intent is for you to be there in the venue watching the band. So you're getting both the sound and the visual. And for the most part, you know, as fans, we usually just get the sound aspect of it. So like, for example, there was that awesome Blueberry Hill that film that came out earlier a couple months ago. And I think you and I and a lot of people were always wondering, okay, what are those timbale drums doing on stage? Like I never see, I never see anybody using them. And lo and behold, a whole lot of love shows up. And they're doing like the theremin freakout section, and there's John Paul Jones right, with the drumstick, it. yeah, banging out on the timbales. And you would never know because I mean the audience recordings from those eras are okay; they're they're not as good as the ones later on. But you would never know that John Paul Jones was banging on the timbale unless you were not unless you're watching the film. So I'm right with there with you. Like having the footage there, even if it's choppy, gives a little glimpse into the magic of what they were doing. And I think a lot. I think a lot of people that overlook those films kind of miss that aspect of it. And what you were saying about like syncing the two VCRs, like I could not fucking imagine. Dude, doing think that. about it. Like, yeah, because <laughs> I mean, you had, you'd use a VCR and it would just record on the audio track, so you wouldn't lose a generation, right? Because that was important as a VCR. So you had to hit that play button or that record button at that exact moment on the VCR as the audio is rolling. And think how many tries that is. Here's what oh, I love man. about syncing, though. You really respect the show, no matter what show it is, because you listen to that same clip over and over again until you get it synced. And you're like, wow, <laughs> Jimmy's awesome on that. Or Plant's just, you know, killing it. And you just, and I know for me, whenever I go back and watch something I synced, I'm so into it. I'll show my friends and they're like, yeah, whatever. And, you know, watch it that one time. And I'm like, no, no, watch this part. Watch how Plant does this or watch how Paige does this because you're so into it because you heard it fucking 20 times, you know, or 30 times. <laughs> Right. I was syncing something up with the Beatles a couple of days ago and I was syncing this clip and I, it was, you know, kind of a tedious clip. So I kept playing it and my door was open because I, I kind of still live at home. I work from home. 
but I'm, you know, getting an apartment in a couple months, hopefully. But my dad comes up and he's like, what are you doing? You're listening to that clip like 20 times. And I'm like, yeah, like, and what are you going to do about it? I'm, I'm, I'm doing work here. Yeah. <laughs> but you're totally right though. Like I, I found so many cool moments from Paige or from plant or just from the band in general, right. just from hearing it so many times that it becomes ingrained in your mind. And going back to what I was saying earlier about the, how I, pers- how I got into audio and stuff, like that's how I found my moments. Like it wasn't from listening to shows and, you know, hearing things like it was from syncing up the video and going, Oh, I love this part. Right. Because I had to spend several minutes trying to sync it up to the freaking video. Right. Well, one of the cool things that I enjoyed on the video too, on a Baton Rouge 1977, I believe where they had during no quarter where they had that laser on top of the uh, arena and you know, you would never know anything about it, you know, and just, I've talked to people and they've told me about it, but actually seeing it on video, it's like, that's cool because you always heard that crowd, the crowd scream during no quarter when it's just a piano solo, right? And it's like, oh, they're yeah. really into it. But most likely the lasers popped up on the screen and everyone's like, yeah, this is great. Yeah, they're all, they're all drugged up right. too. So they're like, oh, <laughs> visual. Uh. Right, right. So now you know, right? Because now when you listen to that tape and you hear the audience go crazy during John Paul Jones, I always thought like he just moved from the organ to the piano or something. But, you know, but then seeing that, it's like, oh, that's totally cool. And I think what's great about your syncing is you bring Moby Dick to life because you mentioned your drummer. Yeah. <laughs> I syncing, I've never been able to sync Moby Dick. And I know I've worked with you a few on a few clips asking you to sync up Moby Dick, but dude, you do an amazing job on that. Because <laughs> you bring yeah, those clips to life. You. Other than dazed and confused in the violin bow, a lot of people film uh, John Bonham no Moby Dick. So it's great seeing that. Yeah, and like my approach to syncing things is that like, okay, like if you have a full audio track and you have the video, you kind of have to go with the approach of, okay, this has to go somewhere. Like I feel bad just plopping, like like a very clear clip of John Bonham playing, I would feel bad just plopping it over some random drum solo audio. So like it's, it's so meticulous and it definitely comes a little bit with the knowledge of how those solos went because, you know, especially in like 75 and 77, there's definitely a lighting progression to them. Right. And of course a solo progression, but you're like, okay, like the lighting looks like this is the hi-hat going, the hi-hat's not going, Dude, whatever. But, yeah. So matching that up. And the most frustrating thing is that when you think the speed of the video is okay and you start syncing up Moby Dick and like the, the <laughs> freaking hi-hat starts going off, off syncing, you're like, oh fuck. And that means I have to go back change the speed on every little clip. Okay, now we're good, and then keep going. Well, I think that's the beauty of doing it on the computer and editing, because like I said, with me on VCRs, I would speed up the audio, because that's all you had, right? right? You had a deck, because we did a lot of dubbing back then, and you'd have a deck that had speed control or pitch control, and you'd have to speed that up. Now with um, computers and editing programs, you could slow it down a little bit. But you mentioned, so you didn't have an editing background before you started. Was it just, I'm gonna get into editing, and I'm gonna add sound to this stuff once you started? Well, I was going to say um, kind of my challenges because when I was 10, like the only software I had on my computer was like Windows Movie Maker. Right. So my challenges um, before I got the software I use now was that Movie Maker was very not frame by frame friendly. Right. And when you're syncing audio, it has to be, you know, to the frame. So, you know, I think it would like push them like a fraction of a second versus like a frame. So you'd be syncing something up. And also there's no speed control. Like you could speed things up like 1.25, 0.75, those kinds of easy numbers, but like more precise speed correction wasn't possible with the stuff that I was doing. And I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with this, but the Garden 73 film has some crazy stupid speed issues. Right. Like it speeds up in some places, slows down. 
So you can't really, I remember looking at them. I wish I had them to show you. Like you could see it like, like there's a camera pan from like bottom of the page, I think. Mm-hmm. And you see it like, oh, it's going, it's going, oh, it's going at double the speed so it could catch up with the audio. But now with the software I use now, um, I can, you know, finally do it by frame. But, um, what was your question? <laughs> you were referring to the Madison Square Garden off the, the, uh, the um, filmed off the wall, right? Yes, 70, yeah, yes. exactly. Well, there's also uh, Madison Square Garden, I think 614 as well, that runs really slow. And I thought that was, I think that one's filmed by Marv, but I think that one, it, it speeds up at the very end because I think the battery was running oh, low. Yeah. Right? So yeah. Just, and, and the problem with that film too, is that we don't have Achilles from the 14th. I know. So, what is up with like, that out of all these shows? I mean, it, it, Madison square garden is as big as LA forum. You would think in the audience and the people that go to those are going to be into taping. So that stuff is out somewhere. It has to be right. Yeah. If, hey, if you're listening and you, you taped the 61477, either reach out to me or reach out to Mark. We'll get it transferred for you. We just, just want Achilles. We just want Achilles. <laughs> we just want, yeah, you can take the you can take the guitar solo. We just want Achilles. <laughs> so what what video software do you use now to edit? So I use um it used to be Sony Vegas, but I think it's just called Movie Studio Platinum 15. And it's a little outdated. I've had it for a couple of years. But like for what I do, and I don't do much like editing beyond like you know, syncing stuff and, and, you know, multicamming and stuff. So for what I do, it, it works just fine. Do you have a favorite year to sync up? I think it's usually whatever I get. I think right. I love the early films. I think the early films pr- provide a unique challenge to sync up because with, you know, from maybe 73 onward, you kind of have the lighting to guide you. Right. But like in the earlier years, you have to, okay, what are, what are they playing? What instrument, what, like the instrumentation, like, John Paul Jones would use his Telecaster based on immigrant songs. You're looking at the film going, okay, it's probably the song, but it provides a more unique challenge. And it's a little more fresh because, you know, most of the films out there are from 75 and 77. Yeah. 75 is super easy to sync up 77. Same thing. I agree with you, but yeah, I think your, your sync on bath was really incredible. I mean, just Thank seeing you. that too. I mean, it's amazing because we've always heard about this being out for so long and hearing it was dark footage and it's never going to come out and just out of the blue, it just pops out from, um, what is it, Kino Library? Yeah, Kino Library. That's the magic of the internet, man. Like, I remember you you sent that to me for the first time and I went, like, right, I had thought, to do a double take. Footage? You're like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I was like, what fast footage? I was like, there's no way. And there it was on YouTube. Like it was the craziest thing, like seeing that footage, like because that footage has been rumored for years. Right. And you have the photos of the cameraman and you're like, what could that footage look like? And in my head, I've always had that. Um, I forgot who took the photo, but I'm sure you'll know what I'm talking about. There's like a photo of the band from the side from like stage left and they're mm-hmm. all in the frame. And, you know, you can see Bonham and Jones. And I've always had like a, an image of the footage looking like that. Right. And lo and behold, the footage shows up from that angle. And, I, and like, my mind was blown. I was like, there, there's no way I'm watching this right now. So, of course, I had to sync it because I, they, people, people will speculate, oh, Kino has the audio, but they muted it. They don't have the audio. No. If anybody has audio for this, it's probably in the hands of the band. Yeah. So, hopefully, we can find that out at some point. But at that point, I was like, well, I'm going to have to sync this to the audience recording. And as soon as I started lining stuff up, there's like a clip of, um, the ending of Daisy Confused, and I, I got that one, and I was like, "Oh my god!" It just it gives the footage a whole new life to it. 
Yeah, and the only issue I have with footage like that is you see this with a lot of bands. It's for some reason they have this obsession with just zooming in as close as possible on the foot <laughs> or the guitar. You see it tons on Jimi Hendrix footage or anything. It's yeah. like back up, <laughs> get you know, like, waste like, up shots or something. Yeah, show the whole stage. I mean, I love the shots of, of just the guitar, right. but like I don't need to see like plants microphone like who gives a shit i right. want to see jimmy soloing i want to see bonham playing like all of those but like thankfully and also anytime they pan to the crowd oh my god when they're like showing this amazing part of the show and like bring it on home for example right. they're showing bring it on home and it's so awesome and then they pan to the crowd like i don't <laughs> care like show me the band yeah you could do cutaway shots or b-roll or any of that stuff later on you could edit that just stay on the band right Exactly. Get one, one, get one camera that's like hanging on the band and then have another camera that's just shooting B-roll. But, yeah. you know. I would imagine you've pretty much synced the entire Led Zeppelin library now at this point of everything that's out there. Do you have any favorites that you've done? That hmm. Well, I would definitely say Bath is up there. Not right. because it was exactly hard to the figure quality, out. Though, because but, the quality, though, because the quality is just so awesome when you sync it up. The only downside to that is just the, the, the audio that we have available is not doesn't match the video. It's good, yeah, right? Yeah. Because you get to see him jam. But if we just had a little bit better sounding audio, that, that video would be incredible. I mean, not that it's yeah, not but incredible it, now. But in a way, in a way though, it kind of enhances the audio because like oh, when yeah. you put a visual, once you put a visual to what the audio is presenting, you kind of get that association in your brain of like, okay, this is what I'm listening for. And another great thing about why it's so great watching eight millimeter films because you could have like the worst audience recording ever. Like, like, oh my God, the 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 one from Leon France in 73. Right, right, yeah, awesome yeah. film. Awesome film. Up close. Oh, that audio. You know, you get these great full band shots, but the audio is so terrible. But it enhances it, I mean, to a lesser extent for that film, but just in general, putting these audience recordings to the footage really enhances your listening experience of it because it kind of gives right. your brain something to work off of almost. But in terms of other films that I've done, um, I'm not sure, like the Cleveland 77 film was really awesome. That was stellar. Not because it's, yeah, it's not the best film out there, but finally seeing something from the Blueberry Hill, or not Blueberry Hill, oh my <laughs> Destroyer. God. Destroyer, <laughs> Destroyer, right. I'm not that old, Destroyer. <laughs> finally getting something from that show is pretty awesome. And then um, I think one of the things I'm really proud of and I'm sure we'll get a little bit more into stuff later, but the Madison Square Garden 1970 film, when I got that, it was right, silent. Right. And yeah, and then seeing Immigrant Song kind of come to life from that show and seeing it from like literally the front row, it's like, well, like you this, said, this boggles my mind. Yeah, anything early is going to be just so powerful because again, there's so much 73 and 75. It's great to see, but when you see early stuff like that, it in you know from the front row, it's amazing. The audio quality is pretty incredible on that show too. So it really goes perfectly with that uh, video. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is you're mentioning the audio quality going with the video and so forth. I had the same experience when Royal Albert Hall came out way, way back on VHS. The quality was pretty atrocious on the video and the audio wasn't that good. And I remember out of the blue, I'm like, oh, I wonder if I should could sync this up to the Coda release. We're going to groove and I can't quit you. <laughs> and I did that. And dude, I would bring that over to everybody's house. It's the first time I could bring crappy video over to someone's house <laughs> and show them Led Zeppelin because the audio was so fucking good on it. Right. So right. I remember like playing it at people's house and you'd see people come around the corner like, what's this that I'm hearing you that you guys are watching? You know, even though the quality wasn't the best, it's like, you know, when you have good audio like that, 
it, you're really impressed with it. So yeah, I remember that. That was one of my favorite things I synced up a long time ago. And I used to watch that yeah. all the time. So here's a question for you. When when they announced the Led Zeppelin DVD back in what, 2003? It was it 2003 right. or like late 2002? Yeah, I want to say it was 2002. They, they, I worked, I mean, they asked me for a video on that. So I, I'm right. guessing the year before that. Right. But what was your reaction when you saw the listing and it had like, not the entire concert, but like, you know, the, the rough cut for people who don't know only has like, we're going to groove, I can't quit you, yeah. skip stays right. and confused, white summer, so on. So when you saw those songs on there, like, what was your reaction? Were you excited? Well, I think in general, the whole DVD itself was just, it, it was the best ever for a Zeppelin fan because they, they took, they took everything out of the storage and they put it on this DVD, right? There was nothing left behind. Danish TV, Paris. So when it came to an early 1970s show, even though you've seen a lot of it, not in this quality, I've never been a big fan of the audio sound of it. I think it could sound a little bit better. It just has this kind of grunginess sound. It's still good. Mm -hmm. I mean, but I love seeing um, Bring It On Home. That just blew me away. How many more times is awesome. And then, you know, before that, I want to say four or five years before that, Someone was, I, I remember that video was, uh, the film was being sold. Like someone's like, hey, dude, yeah. you got $250,000 to buy Roll Albert Hall. <laughs> the guy has it. And from my understanding, and I could be completely wrong, but I think they actually went to court, Page did, and, you know, it turned out that, you know, Page didn't own it. They left it in a storage locker and they ended up having to buy it from him. And I'm not sure how much, yeah. but I know a handful of people that actually considered buying the film, but it's kind of like owning the bath footage. You're, you know, you could own it, but not being able to sync it up with any audio is kind of, kind of pointless to have it while you, while you get licensed it, it's not really going to be right. full effect. Right. And so, I, I think I've seen a, I've seen a website that had the footage listed. It was like all X amount of color reels from Led Zeppelin, Royal Albert Hall. And imagine like ha being the person that's about to buy that. And then you hear the Jimmy Page wants it. Right. And back then, I mean, just cause I don't think, there was much out there. I mean, I think uh, maybe Nebworth is out there, the second night of Nebworth. Right. So here, here's a question for you, and I'm not sure if it's something we can publish or not. Regarding <laughs> that second Nebworth show, because it's been out forever, Right. how did that get out in the first place? Do you know? Well, as, yeah, and I remember getting that. You know, I bought it for the guy. Some guy in UK came up with it, and of course he sold it. And the quality was really bad, and it turned out because you know, back then you would get the video, then you, it was in PAL format. So you'd have to pay a company to make a copy into NTSC. So that's another generation. Yeah. Just interesting transition from, you know, back then and going through all these multiple versions. And now we have digital copies of, you know, these digital of Nebworth and Earl's Court. So it's, it's really great. I mean, pretty much everything's out there, I would imagine. Wow. It makes you wonder like how he, that person got it in the first place. If he took it or if he took a copy or you know something like that, that yeah. that's that's always the mysterious part of these stories like you know like how did this get out right. how did this pro shop film get out well you know and i know a very famous collector had earl's court for a very long time that no one really had so he was really good about right. keeping it in his possession so that's been out seattle 77 is another one right like you said it's just interesting how it does come out and that's another one. I mean, Seattle's the only thing that really hasn't come out in really good quality. I think the yeah. Seattle one that's out, for what it looks like for me, it looks like it's from um, NTSC to PAL. So it's from the, went to the UK, then UK back to US into um, NTSC again. So it's very flat to me. The samples we yeah. see on Rockumentary looks like it could be a lot better. 
Definitely. And it kind of suffers from a really bad soundtrack too. And I think that Ugh. soundtrack, cause it's so flat and dry. Like it really kills the, and the, the show's not amazing, especially <laughs> compared to the shows back in June, but like they, they warm up, they, you know, by the end of the show, you know, they're, they're back at it a little bit more. Yeah. Jimmy comes down with some sleeping sickness. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> right. like and he's, right he's, at him. He looks, he looks like a statue <laughs> and he doesn't even have his shades on. So you see his eyes. Right. He's just like, so out of it. It's like, Oh, it's like almost hard to watch. Right. Well, wasn't and that was the beginning uh, concert of that leg. One more. Yeah, it was that. the third leg because they um that show was July seventeenth. The last show was at the Forum on June twenty seventh. Yeah. So it was like a three week break. Yeah. Yeah. A lot could happen in three weeks. Yes. I, I doubt if a guitar was picked up at all. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good question. <laughs> You do a lot of great syncing, Moby Dick and stuff. You've worked on some really great projects as well. So one of the projects you work on was Badge Holders Blues. So could you explain a little bit about what that was? Yeah. So right when lockdown started, we had started the Dogs of Doom Discord server. And we started kind of inviting people over. And somebody who's on our community, he runs the Led Zeppelin Boots channel on YouTube. And he came on the forum once and was like, hey, I'm kind of thinking about redoing my compilation of the LA 77 shows, because he kind of likes to mix and match the Millard recordings and kind of make like a kind of mock live album. And, you know, we're in the midst of lockdown and I was like, why don't we make this a video project? Right. So we we kind of all came together and we kind of brainstormed um, kind of which versions to include. Okay, we'll take the song remains the same from Listen to This Eddie, Sick Again from Batch Holders, kind of going down the line. And I, they kind of gave me their list and I started taking all the sources and syncing them up. And it wasn't just the Seattle, it was taking the eight millimeter films and stuff, which I think are a much better representation of that tour, especially from Jimmy, because Jimmy visually, looks like yeah. a yep. visually, yeah, it looks like a statue, like I said, at Seattle. So I tried to prioritize using the, the amateur film as much as I could so it could capture that experience a little bit better. And then kind of using Seattle where I where needed to fill in the gaps. But eventually we had this like nearly four hour video um, of, you know, a 1977 show using the LA as audio. And, you know, we grabbed in some little tidbits from like the 26th and the 22nd that, right. you know, they get a couple of little jams on those shows, even though the quality is not as good. We thought they were good to include. We included It'll Be Me from the 26th. We included Dancing Days, just lots of little Easter eggs and teasers and stuff that would be really cool kind of watching it as a thing. And then we put it out on the anniversary of listen to this Eddie. Oh, very cool. And that's kind of what kicks. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what kickstarted our group and kind of where we went from there. Right. Well, what's funny is you mentioned, it'll be me. And I remember having that video way, way back. And at the time I only had a couple LA shows, so I didn't have, it'll be me. And I always wondered what, song is that it, you know it doesn't look right. like communication breakdown you try syncing it up and just one day i was thinking oh and i had the um the fort worth texas show where they did it i'm like right. i wonder if that's what it is so i tried that i'm like oh shit that syncs up so next thing i know i got to figure out what la show has <laughs> it'll be me right because again no internet resources not a lot yeah. of information so you're asking people or it's like i'm going to trade and get the rest of them at least i'll have it'll be me and then finally syncing that up that was like oh that's awesome uh, finally, and that reminds me of when I synced up the Honolulu seventy film. Right, because there's oh, a, I'm there's like a, there's like yeah. a yeah, there's a minute long stretch in that film where it's just Robert, and it's like, what could this be? Like it's after it's like after Bring Out on Home and right. before What Is and What Should Never Be. So you're like, okay, 
It's not that's the way. It's not since I've been loving you. It's not this. And I was looking on the internet, and there's a review that was posted on the band's site. And the review mentions, oh, then they went into Babe, I'm going to leave you. And a light bulb went off in my head, like, oh my God, this could be Babe, I'm going to leave you. And unfortunately, we don't have audio from that late Honolulu show. We have the audio from the first show. But I took the most re one of the late 69 performances of uh, Babe, I'm going to leave you. And I was messing with it. And there was a part where you could clearly see Robert singing, uh, I can hear it calling me back home. And mm -hmm. I went, oh my God, finally, after all of these right. years of trying to figure out what this song was, it just took that little piece of newspaper review to finally put this in context. And the same thing with Out on the Tiles. There was a little bit at the end where it's after Whole Lot of Love. This is a couple of years before I found Babe, I'm going to leave you. It was after Whole Lot of Love. So, you know, it's probably communication breakdown or maybe Blueberry Hill or, or something. And then same thing with Robert. Like I saw him singing the lyrics to Out on the Tiles. And I was like, oh, there it is. Like, oh, my God. Yeah, see, I asked your favorite sinks. That has to be one of them. When you figure that Definitely. out, it's like after all these yeah. years, it's like, look at that. And it just syncs up. And that's a video I never attempted to sync up. I mean, it was just like, again, filming the feet, filming the face. There's not a lot to do. And filming you do just Robert job. Plant. Right. Right. And it's so dark, too. Like, right. It's kind of like if it, we had a film scan of it, it would look a lot better. Right. But alas. Yeah, that guy filmed a lot of stuff, too. I, I remember getting a 30-minute tape, and it had uh, – Janis Joplin on it, Hendrix, yeah, yeah it had doors. a ton of stuff on there. Yeah, I think what I, we actually, a couple years ago, Dogs of Doom, we found the filmer and we gave him a call and I think he sold his reel, he like sold his reels out to somebody. Wow. The Hendrix footage is in the possession of the Hendrix, the Hendrix family. So I don't know where that Zeppelin film is, but maybe it's out there somewhere. Right, right. Well, let me, so let me ask you, you talked about the badge holders. So you came out with a trailer for thumping of the pistons. Where's that at? <laughs> oh that man. That's like, that's like the, <laughs> that's like the becoming like Zeppelin running joke of Dogs of Doom. Right. Um, really the thing with that project and I have, I still have the files for them. They're so, and occasionally I think, Oh, I can, I can get back to this. And I start doing it and I'm like, Oh, uh, so really, and I guess this is the first time I'm really talking about this. Um, so we, started thumping of the pistons which is our 75 sort of compilation and immediately off the bat we were like okay we have soundboards for these shows so there's a lot more potential to mix them together right. maybe even we were even experimenting with like using the ai splitter to grab robert from another show and of course wow. he'd be transparent about it he yeah. wouldn't be like lying that oh this is just from one show right but just kind of trying to make the best experience that we could but really the, the two things that really killed it for me were No Quarter and Moby Dick, and they're mm -hmm. related to syncing because with No Quarter, you just have those two Earl's Court performances. Right. And those performances are so different from the ones they were doing in the US, especially on that March leg where they started with oh. like the best ones from the tour where Dude. they start going on those jazzy, upbeat excursions. And if I had like 10 minutes of footage of that from another show, like I would just drop that in. Okay, let's release it. But we didn't have it. So we were kind of argue, not arguing, but just kind of debating of what we should do for that. And, you know, I was trying to work with the Earl's Court footage for the No Quarter Jam, and it wasn't working great. So then it just kind of came to a halt. But maybe I'll release something from it at some point. Like, I did Rock and Roll and Sick again. I mean, a lot of stuff is 
synced up. So maybe I'll, I'll release yeah. some of it, but it's, it's, it's really cool. Yeah. Those are the tough ones. Cause you know, you're dealing with 20 minutes, you know, song. So it, it needs to match somewhat. And I think that's another cool thing when you sync, especially when you sync like no quarter. Cause I know LA form has some no quarter footage in there. And I remember trying to sync that and you're just using every little bit of no quarter, just like, where's that part? Where's that part? Right. And as soon as right. it matches up, you're like, fuck yeah look at that <laughs> yeah stare at it for like, <laughs> like especially 10, jimmy's minutes. solo too yeah yeah well that's what i'm talking about where where jimmy's yeah. just doing a riff and it matches up and you just stand back and you just watch that clip like 20 times you're like yeah you're i like, did yes. that <laughs> <laughs> i did that okay so you mentioned dogs of doom tons of times and i know you're a huge contributor to dogs of doom but kind of explain what dogs of doom is it's you guys have been a huge impact in the last couple of years but what exactly is dogs of doom so the Dogs of Doom started out, like I said, as a Discord community, uh, which is for people who don't know what Discord is, it's kind of like a more, it's kind of like an IM forum, essentially. You kind of have your channels, you have different places to discuss. It's a little more immediate than say like an online board compared to like, you know, Royal Orleans right, or, form, or yeah. the Led Zeppelin website. Yeah. So we kind of started out during the pandemic and we, we kind of started on Bachelor Blues and eventually a smaller circle of us were like, hey, like there's all this cool shit that's probably out there like let's start looking for it like because a lot of people you know when they want to find something that kind of kind of you kind of have your trading rumors and you have people that have you know things that aren't circulated and stuff but we started to look a little broader at people who just kind of have things sitting in their attic because mm -hmm. i'm sure as you know and as, as i know like there are so many people out there that just kind of have these tr these holy grail level things just sitting in their closets and like you know, you just kind of find those people. So really our goal became was just looking for those people that have these tapes. And there's, you know, you have a variety of characters that you're dealing with. Like some people are like, yeah, like take it. Like and hopefully you can get something out of it. Other people are like, oh, well, I'm so busy. And I, you know, I have to look through storage to find right. it or whatever. And like, you just kind of have to work on, with them depending on what they're doing or who they are. But the idea is that hopefully we can get these tapes and these films and we can clean them up a little bit. Nothing crazy, just, you know, getting rid of pops and stuff and syncing it to audio for footage and then just getting it out there for fans to hear. Like getting something, I'm, I'm sure something like Carnegie Hall 69, for example, if that started circulating in private circles, for example, I'm not saying that it does. There, there were rumors, but I'm not sure if they're true. Um, but like finding somebody that did tape Carnegie Hall and was like, yeah, like, sure, let's get it out there. Let's hopefully somebody can get something out of it. Like, which is so awesome. And, you know, there's a lot, lots of shows that we were able to get out that have kind of established themselves as Led Zeppelin canon with, you know, the greats. Speaking of Carnegie Hall, that show is just incredible. I don't usually oh, listen yeah. to Moby Dick, but I've listened to that one and just Bonham's on fire on that one. The crowd yeah. is just loving you, it. Yeah, there's an, actually a newspaper interview that he did, and I forgot when it was, but someone was like, oh, what's your favorite drum solo you've done on stage? And he says, oh, the first Carnegie Hall performance was oh, great. Nice. And here it is on tape, and it, it holds He's up. He's just it having a those... blast out there. You could tell. Yeah. It's just, and it's actually just crowd interaction and shit. It was just yeah. really good. Well, and I Craziest think, Moby Dick. Yeah, and I think with Dogs of Doom, I mean, you guys have, you know, you're out there pretty established. So now when you guys release something as Dogs of Doom, I mean, it gets picked up. That has to be pretty yeah. exciting when you see it on a whole bunch of news sites. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Like, like, I mean, we're not really doing it for the exposure. We're doing it right. more for the sake of the fan base, but no, I, I definitely agree. Like seeing it on some new site being like, Oh yeah, I, I curated that. Like there is a, 
Yeah, there were articles coming out for the you know the Landover seventy five film that I put out on YouTube a couple months right, ago. Right, yeah, that's it good. It's not, yeah, that's that's a great film. It's kind of up, needs a new transfer though, but it's right. up. And I just saw like news sites running it. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Right, and that's a great angle for that footage too. Definitely, it, it does need another scan though, because it's kind of blown out. But I mean, it's just it's priceless, no matter what. Right. But, yeah. Right, and you don't really see those kinds of angles for seventy five because we're we're kind of we're kind of lucky with seventy five. Most of those films are like right up in the front row you can see everything but you kind of get your focus on like a couple of band members but with an angle like that you get to see the whole stage right. you see the light show you see so yeah that's really cool i prefer that anyway because it just easier you know i like to see you know i like to have control of who i'm looking at too and then also for right. syncing you you're right on bottom so it's easy to match up too <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> so out of all things that dogs of doom has found because i'm looking at a list now it looks like i mean i'm looking at the list from royal orleans it looks like uh you have 20 you've released 22 items that's kind of in the liberation series is that where it's at or is there more now uh there's, there's probably more to it i think the liberation series that we had was more of like genuinely new and exciting things but you right. know we have people in our in our group that have inherited some tape collections and reels so you know we find upgraded sources and you know things that may fill in some tiny gaps here and there and we release them but they're not officially part of the series but plus yeah and i this, think about 22 things that are like yeah like part of that series. yeah and it's some of it's non-led zeppelin but looking at the list it's, it's really impressive i mean for zeppelin i mean you had the toronto hollywood 1971 uh carnegie hall i mean do you have a favorite that you've uncovered and of course you've uncovered some really great films as well so is there anything that uh, really stands yeah. out of you or that like you're so happy you got uh, I really, I mean, all of them are awesome in their own ways. Right. And, I, and I have to give a shout out to one of our members, Vinny. And Vinny was one of the guys who really put himself out there to get these things. And he's his kind of work was the reason we've got a lot of these things out. Like he was behind, well, of course, everyone in the group is so awesome, but he's kind of initiated the contact for a lot of these things. So like Hollywood, he, he helped find Denver, um, Atlanta Pop. Like I think Denver for our group was a huge success because that show in 72, it's kind of sandwiched between the famous show in Seattle where they do dancing days twice yeah. How and crazy a couple that? of shows. Yeah, it's crazy. And a couple of shows later is the famous show at the forum in 72 burn like a candle. So to find out there's a show between those two. And of course it was San Bernardino and San Diego, but they're a little more standard, at least San Bernardino is. Um, but finding another show that supposedly has like a crazy set of encores and they, they start playing stuff off the album of Houses of the Holy. Like I remember we got that tape and it took a couple of months because the, originally the taper was taking it to a studio to try and transfer it. But then I think they were having problems. So he just ended up sending it to us and we made it work, of course. And, um, we were listening to it together for the first time while it was transferring over discord. And I remember us freaking out, like, holy shit, there's the ocean <laughs> right. Playing right after Black Dog. Like, that's only happened um, at Seattle. And then the tape is really cool because he, he only had a C60, so he only recorded about an hour. But it was clear that he loved the show so much that he started taping over stuff on the second side. <laughs> nice. So we're listening to it. Uh, I think it's Since I've Been Loving You, no, Since I've Been Loving You cuts on the first side, then Stairway to Heaven starts that ends and they're starting to tune up for the acoustic set and we're like okay cool maybe there'll be black country women or something right but then suddenly we're taken through this like time vortex like it kind of <laughs> rewinds and everything yeah. and like we start hearing stuff and then we start hearing a whole lot of love and we're like 
no way this guy just caught some of the encores from this show because <laughs> uh, one of the things one of the things about Denver is that there's again there's like no real like memorabilia from it there's like one review for it right and a couple of recollections so there's like nothing on the show so it's kind of almost a fun mystery to find out so it's going through the show whatever it goes a whole lot of love rock and roll plays plant sounds incredible and then it cuts to louie louie and then we're freaking out we're like no way we just found like the third or so version of that right. song and then it cuts the thank you and whatever but denver was really special because cool. a lot of us that was like our holy grail show for a lot of us yeah, 72 is an interesting tour, too, because it's like one of the ones that doesn't seem talked about that much because, you know, you have the 73 right afterwards and obviously 70 and 71. But 72 is just kind of sandwiched in there. And it was before they, they still had the extended whole lot of love and did the medleys and they didn't condense their, their, that whole lot of love like they did in 73. Yeah, and, and that, that summer 72 show tour is definitely at least in the Dogs of Doom circles, is considered one of their best, just because it's kind of at the peak of, you know, I, I kind of like to see Zeppelin as like a crossroads between when the band's really good and when Robert's really good, mm -hmm. because the band sort of peaks right after Robert peaks, and by the time the band's speaking, Robert's like having the flu, and he kind of right. loses his voice. So 72 is kind of like one of those last crossroads eras, at least early on in the year um, in for Australia and in the U.S., where the band's playing really well and plant sounds pretty good. So those things together and you kind of have like that fun party vibe with the Seattle show and LA and stuff that, that tour just gets escalated to a whole new level. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm looking over the list now and it's just so impressive on all this stuff that just, it really came out in a short amount of time. And what I love about their group is, you know, it's not holding back anything. It's like, if we find it, we're going to give it out. And cause there's right. not, from my understanding, I don't think there's a lot of trading going on anymore. It's either just hold on to it and not let it out or I'm going to let it out. I don't know how many people are actually trading. You'd probably know better than me, but I've got out of trading 20 years ago just cause it just got too crazy. Everyone using fake names to get stuff. And it's hard to trust people these days, in my opinion, just because I've been burned a few times. No, I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. And I mean, I have my, my fair experience of being burned and, you know, getting my trust betrayed. So I think, in, and especially since it's been recently, so I've kind of been laying low. But, you know, of course, if something comes my way and it's like, hey, get this out there, like, that's not going to stop me from doing it. Like, it, it's not going to stop my love for the band and my, my love for you know, doing something really great for the community, even if it's not as active as it was maybe, you know, about a year ago or so. Right. Well, so let's let's talk a little bit about that. So with great things, sometimes comes drama, right? Because Dogs of Doom has done wonderful things for the community and stuff. And But there has been some drama this year around Dogs of Doom and particularly yourself, you know, and some stuff being released that shouldn't have and so forth. And you actually wrote an open letter to um, LedZeppelin.com and on the forums, of course, and then Royal Orleans. Can you talk a little bit about what happened? Or, I mean, is there anything you want to share? Sure. And I, I don't want to talk about it too deeply right. just because I don't want to, you know, repress your old wounds. So I just want to preface for anybody that's listening that this is just entirely from my perspective. Um, I mean, one of the things in that we didn't talk about too much uh, for very obvious reasons is that we were and are in, we're, we're in possession of things that were not allowed to be shared out. Right. And that was sort of a, that was sort of a sort of blood pact that we had within our group. And honestly, like getting those things was such a great motivator for finding things that we can share. Right. So right. obviously, yeah. So obviously we have all these things that we weren't able to share. And like, that was like the New York 70 film, Philly, Philly 72, 
all these things. And those things Baltimore, inspired us yeah. to find, yeah, Baltimore, finding all these great things for people that to be able to enjoy. Right. And it sort of allowed us to foster an open form of open flow of information that we could use to, you know, find things to share with the community. So <clears throat> recently, some decisions were not recently, this was like earlier this year. Um, some decisions were made when we found that a member was doing some things that made a lot of us very uncomfortable. And a couple of people kind of rallied behind him thinking it was a wrong decision. Mm -hmm. And because of that, and you know, there were, there were conversations and they were trying to get me to talk to this person. And I said, Hey, like my, my DMS are open if you want to speak. And when I wasn't kind of giving into them, then they started sort of leaking these things that we weren't supposed to share because uh, some of them were ex members of our circle hmm. literally released just to, you know, black, essentially blackmail me right. into doing what they want to do. And <clears throat> there's a part of me that's like, Oh, like it's, it's great that people get to see these things, but there's also an aspect of trust that's being broken. Right. And I think that's something that is being, and of course there's an aspect on my end of that. Okay. Maybe I shouldn't have been sharing this with, this group of people. And I recognize that mistake on my end, but on, on the other hand, I have to realize how, what that fostered and what that fostered for dogs of doom and what that fostered for the rest of the community. And that we weren't willingly, you know, keeping these things to ourselves because we wanted to, we were, we were at, you know, the mercy of other people. Yeah. And I, and I do want to say though, that I could not be more grateful for everybody that has, shared things with me that, you know, it unfortunately got leaked that nobody really turned their back on me. Obviously right. there was, the, there was anger and there was, you know, there were discussions and stuff, but there was nobody that like completely turned me away. And I think that, and I don't want to toot my own horn. This is just my, <laughs> my own perspective, on, dude. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, I think it shows what dogs of doom has done for the community. Right. And you know, that we're, we're, we're not really in this to, to kind of profit on our own. So, you know, I'm very grateful, of course, to you and to anybody else that has a connection with me that's listening for sort of not really turning your back on me and kind of keeping going, even with all this stuff going on. But really, right. you know, that stuff came out and there's, you know, there's a group of people out there that, you know, not going to really sugarcoat it, don't yeah. really have anything else better to do than to humiliate me and people that are associated with me and other people. And I mean, really, I've been able just to tune it out and keep doing what I'm you doing. So I to. hope that they, yeah. yeah, you have to, especially months later, you know, right. like you can't just be thinking about this all the time because, you know, I have real life obligations. Oh, it, it takes a toll though, because this is your passion. It, yeah. really, it comes down on you like this. And, you know, I've been trading for decades and, you know, this shit happens. It happens a yeah. lot. So sometimes you got to pick what you're going to do. I mean, you're in a position where it's like a double-edged sword because you're trying to do great by the community and bring all this stuff to them. But then there's a, this handful of stuff you're not, you, you can't let out, which I get. One of the things that I learned from something like this is who you could trust. And you realize quickly that you can't automatically just share all this stuff with all your friends that you want to. Cause you know, once you could keep something and share it to other people, sometimes the value is not in, you know, they don't have the thought of value as much as you do and it could easily get out. Right. Back in my day, it took a lot longer to find out that it was let out versus now. It's just like on YouTube and everybody knows. <laughs> so it's a matter right, of seconds right. versus months because, 
you know, you'd look and like, how did you get that on your list? And then you go to this, you know, who you gave it to. So you quickly realize. <laughs> you have to like go back through the tree. Right. So you have your coalition of people that you could really trust. And that's kind of your circle. I'm not trying to give you advice or anything, but I'm sure you've learned a lot from this <laughs> and stuff. But that being said, it sounds like you're laying low, but is Dogs of Doom still in existence? Do the, Are they still active? Or are we going to still see more releases from Dogs of Doom? Are you actively um, finding stuff? Well, that's the hope, you know, like you just never know. I'm not saying that we're dormant. We're, we still right. talk. You know, we um, we recently inherited um, a collection of reels from the Bill Bratton collection that um, we were oh, working yeah. on. Right. I'm not sure how much of that's going to come out, but you know, we have them, and um, you know, we still talk. We still, you know, you you graciously released some of the Bloomington 1970 tape right. um, of "Since I've Been Loving You" and little bits on the the podcast with Michael, which were just awesome. And it kind of drew some more people back in because they heard him and then were like, oh, wow. Because sometimes you need that little kick in the ass to be like, oh, right. this is just like Zeppelin, man. Like, you got to get like, back on it. Yeah. Hearing, exactly. And like hearing hearing something like that, like you just kind of, you know, when it pulls you out, you know, next thing you know, you're pulled back in. But, um, <laughs> you know, we still talk and we right. hopefully maybe something will come our way. You know, even with even before the drama happened, um, there were definitely still eras of, where nothing would happen. And then suddenly everything was working out so great. Like it kind of comes in waves too. Oh yeah. So you never know kind of moving into the future, but I'm hopeful that, you know, something will come out from the dogs of doom. You just don't know when or what. Right. And it always comes in waves. I mean, some stuff that I've gotten, you know, I've worked on, you know, I've known about it and it's taken me three to five, six years to get it. You know, constantly asking that person, do you want to get it, give it up? Or, you know, you're ready to sell it. So it just, you got to stay on top of it and stuff. So anything you wish you did differently of all the drama that happened? Yeah. Well, I'm not sure. It's hard to say, you know, because of course there's the easy answer of, oh, I shouldn't have shared anything with anybody. But if like we didn't share anything with at least this circle, we wouldn't have the amazing things that we'd have today. On the other hand, I think we could have made some better decisions in terms of who we let into the group. Right. Um, There were definitely a couple of people and I don't want to, green sparked old flames or anything but i'm just saying this just to sort of in retrospect um that you know probably shouldn't have been trusted from the beginning right um, with past patterns of behavior yeah 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 i was just gonna say you always want to have positive intent anyway so you want to assume everyone's good and you know we're all here to get more zeppelin stuff so let's you know i'm gonna give this to you and you give that to me and let's let's you know change the world exactly and that that was sort of our hope with it and i think we were doing a really great job you know, sort of before the drama put us as kind of a stop in things. And and like I said, like, I don't want this to indicate that it's the end of what we do. Right. It's definitely made us sort of lay low a little bit more. Well, the community loves you, dude. I mean, the community loves everything you're doing. Because I mean, by you giving this stuff out, it's just it's mind blowing for them. I mean, you're doing such a great service to the Zeppelin community. It's pretty awesome. Well, I really appreciate that. And it's so great. And I, I said, I know I, we don't do it really for the response or whatever, or for, for, I guess, for modern terms, the clout. But it, it is awesome seeing the people commenting, saying, oh, my God, like, I never thought I'd hear this. Or like, right. You know, this, this part and getting, seeing people enjoying parts of the show that we enjoyed when we were listening to it the first time. So getting to kind of share that, it's like a, it's a community thing. Like, getting to share something, of course, through the proper channels and through the with permission, um, sharing things out and watching people get to enjoy it the same way or if not more than we did is just such an awesome thing to see and i think that was something that really drove us to find more 
and right. to get stuff out there so we can kind of share that love of Led Zeppelin. And with you get, you know, and you're so well known with your syncing, I'm sure people have, who have been sitting on stuff like, I want to see this with sound. I know exactly where to go. So, you know, you I hope, I mean, I hope your name so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was, um, I'm trying to think, I, I think I have talked to people before that kind of knew the channel. But usually when I do talk to people about their films and stuff, I'll link them to my channel saying, hey, this is what I do. I'm, I don't mean anything malicious. I'm just a big fan. And I want to see this get enjoyed by, you know, me and, and several other people. Right. But um, yeah, it, yeah, like I said, it just really depends on the person you're talking to. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing that story with me because I know, you know, by you putting, you know, the open letter on, I think you called it a few words, but by you posting that, I mean, I know that had to take a lot out of you to put it up there. So, you know, I appreciate you talking about it because sometimes you just want to put it behind you. It's all a learning experience. I went through the same thing a couple times when I started trading, you know, and just it's just the nature of it. And you kind of just learn from mistakes kind of in life as well. So any holy grails? I mean, a lot of stuff has been out. What What's your holy grail now? I mean, what, what do you think or anything you know that's out there that you hope surfaces? That's a little bit more difficult question. <laughs> but, but what, <laughs> let's talk about holy grails. What, what would be your holy grail right now? Something you don't have. Um, I feel like the really easy answer just for somebody assuming that's I'm, I'm big in the film would be like the Pontiac show in 77. Right. But I feel like my my hope for that has gone down so much because it's been like so long. There's been, I feel like even the band itself has been very mysterious about it. Like I know that um, the webmaster, Sam, he put up like a flyer or like a bill that mentioned, this is the video crew that filmed them at right. Pontiac and was like, oh, here's a, here's a flyer from there. And then I responded, you know, just because why not? I was like, oh, sure. is this, do, do you guys know anything about this? No, nothing. Right, right. So I've kind of almost given up hope on that. But I think a personal grail for me um, would probably be the the dailies for the song remains the same oh, just because right. I love I love that stuff and I mean my dream has always been to take all that footage and prove Jimmy Page and whoever wrong that yes you can make a whole concert so yeah holy grails there's tons of them out there just really you know fingers crossed and we're relying on dogs of doom to find it for us <laughs> we already found a couple dude so, it's all you know, in you your hands know. now i'm retired so it's all on your hands <laughs> that means i get your collection with the guy, <laughs> right, right right i don't even sync that much i sit down to sync and i'm like man this is not even close to what eric does man i'm not even gonna do this it's like, <laughs> all right all right send it over send yeah, it over Mark. i have so much pressure when i do it now like it used to be easy you know it's like now it's like i, I look at yours it's like oh these are perfect so, yeah, <laughs> uh, let's kind of wrap it up. I could definitely talk to you for hours, especially as we get rolling on video and, and performances and stuff like that. It's always cool. I got a few things I want to go with you. I don't know if you've heard the podcast, but I always ask some questions at the end. Uh, favorite Led Zeppelin album? Physical Graffiti. Least favorite? <sighs> Probably in for the outdoor. Actually, no, I'll say Coda. I'll okay. say Coda. Yeah. Uh, favorite song? I would always go Cashmere. Nice. Least favorite song? Uh, maybe Candy Store Rock. Mm-hmm. Okay. First bootleg you listened to? First bootleg, probably August 11, 79, going by my story. And then last bootleg you listened to? I actually listened to the fourth Nebworth performance because I was like, I need to get back in the Zup mood for this podcast. So the last thing I listened to was August 4th, 79, Cashmere. Now that's full circle, going from Nebworth yeah, to Nebworth. <laughs> I, I just thought about that, too. <laughs> uh, favorite live Zep year? Uh, 71. Okay, cool. And then Robert Plant or Jimmy Page fan? Mm, J- uh, I don't know. I'd probably see Jimmy Page. Okay. And then do you have a favorite solo project? 
Uh, probably Outrider. Okay. And should they have continued after the O2? No. Very good. And then, so just speaking of solo stuff, I mean, are you into any of the solo stuff or is it all Zeppelin for you? I know you've seen Planet. Mostly, mostly Zeppelin. Yeah, mostly Zeppelin for me. Um, I had a, I had a friend who started getting into the Outrider tour and was like, dude, like this is the best Jimmy Page has played since 1973. And I was like, oh, okay. So I started <laughs> listening to them and I was like, oh my God, like he was, he was killing it in 88. Yeah. I don't know what happened. And that, that's a, such a great tour seeing him do a, uh, like prison blues and he was right. with John Miles right. and John Miles could like hit the notes on like over the hills and stuff. Right. So that was such a great tour. And like, I have, I know you're way more into page and plant than I am, Sure, but I, I do like that stuff. Like everything I've heard, there's a, there's a little, there's like a, there's like a unique quality to it. Kind of seeing page and plant with Michael Lee on the drums. Right. So I always like that. Um, but yeah, like you said, I, I saw plant um, two times, both at the Meriwether post pavilion. I saw him. Very cool in the June of 2018 and he opened with the lemon song and it was the first time I'd seen a Zet member outside of Jason Bonham and hearing him like kind of get into it. And he did like a scream at the beginning and the whole, <laughs> right. the whole amphitheater like blew up. I was like, Holy shit. Like right. I'm seeing him right now. And then I saw him last June with um, Alice and Krauss because yeah. they were doing the raise the roof tour. And I was maybe about 50 to 75 feet away. You've seen my photos, Mark, right. but he was, he was maybe 50 to 75 feet away. Like you could see his, like, like, you know, when, when I saw him the last time you could see that he was there, but now I can like see his face. I can see him saying, I can right. like that seeing that him from that angle and seeing him do the battle of evermore was just the coolest. Thing. Right. And I think, you know, for, for me, cause I, I lived the evolution of the solo year. So that's why I could, you know, I have a little bit more passion for the albums and stuff. I think it would be hard to, be a fan, you know, if you've been a fan for the last 15 years to dive deep into those solos, because if you're not experiencing experiencing it at the time, it might be a little bit difficult. But I think seeing him live and just even probably seeing him with Alison Krauss and the time you're like, still like, dude, that's fucking Robert Plant. I mean, right, every bootleg right. I've listened to, I mean, that's the guy, regardless of his age or what he's doing or how he's singing it. That's him. I mean, he still and has it too. That's, yeah. Yeah. And that's a crazy thing that I was thinking about when I was, when I was watching him. And I was like, I spend so much of my life analyzing this right. man, stuff that he's done 50 years ago. And here I am, and he's a real person that if I went up to him and I said, do you remember on June 25th, 1972, when you got feedback from the harmonica? <laughs> you'd, you'd think I was fucking insane. Right. <laughs> like, But here he is doing his thing. And this kind of goes back to when you asked me, should Zeppelin continue? And I said, no. Because I think that Robert is so much happier right now. Like right. I think he got, I think he got that closure in his life when he went on the O2. I mean, he probably had closure way before this, but I think as a fan, getting the closure of a, he could say one he did more it, full concert, at least, yeah, yes, exactly. But you know, that O2 show is such a great bookend for Led Zeppelin Live because you know it's not I their agree. greatest concert in retrospect of everything else they've done, but for the sake of it being a reunion show. And for the cause that they were doing it for and the atmosphere that was in the O2 that night, like there was no way they could have ended it better, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think with Plant, even Jones, I mean, they still have the Zeppelin spirit of ever onward, right? Because Zeppelin never right. played the same thing over again. Every album, it reflects that from, you know, the first album to House of the Holy to In Through the Outdoor. It's They're always changing and experimenting. And I think that really reflects in plan. He's never stopped. And Jones, man, he, he's off the charts with that stuff. And he always has, I has know. been. He's experienced. And I think Jimmy just, you know, again, I've mentioned on other podcasts, it just, he's Led Zeppelin. 
I mean, that's his baby. Right. That will right. always be his baby. And it's hard for him to break loose. He tried the Coverdale Page thing, which I thought was great. Um, you know, I'm not a huge fan of David Coverdale, but I think just seeing him out there and that's some of his best guitar playing. Outrider was definitely good. So, yeah, it was good times, man. So very cool, Eric. I appreciate you just kind of coming on. You know, it's been years that we've been we've known each other and finally talking to you and kind of sharing our video stories and our syncing and all that stuff. And really thank you for diving into telling me what Dogs of Doom's all about, what your the mission statement is, also diving into the open letter that you mentioned about and kind of sharing with, with everyone that what happened during that period. Um, before I wrap things up, I mean, is there anything else you want to share with our audience? Um, well, first of all, again, thank you so much for having me on, Mark. It's, it's been awesome just kind of, I feel like we're like exchanging war stories because we've kind of right. done the same thing around different times. Um, really, I mean, I may as well plug both you and I. We're both kind of on the hunt for Led Zeppelin-related materials. I'm sure, Mark, you'll do your kind of plug at the end of the podcast. But if you, you do want to reach out to the Dogs of Doom specifically, we do have um, an email address. It is just dogsofdoomliberations at gmail.com. If you're listening and you want to, you know, share us any films, any audio, photos. I know Mark's after the same thing, but um, either I'll way, I'll totally edit that hand. part out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put in my voice. Contact at zepfan.com. <laughs> it's like the it's like the Bloomington seventy right, right, right. Like the, you gotta just contact Zepfan. <laughs> yeah, subliminal uh, message in there. No, no, no. <laughs> but again, no. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for having me, and I, I really hope we can get on the show some other time. Right, and I totally enjoy talking to you. And like I said, we'll have to do a part two. And anytime you know you want to come on and bring on some dogs of dooms members and we could kind of just talk more zeppelin or if there's anything that like a new release you want to talk about as well and go over it we could review it i think that'd be totally cool too absolutely yeah all right brother well i have nothing else um happy holidays to you enjoy your weekend and uh we'll go from there and listen to some zeppelin all right yeah you will you as well mark thank you so much man. all right bro have a good one bye-bye well there you have it that concludes episode eight thank you again eric levy for joining me you could always search for previous episodes. All you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, search ZepFan, search Led Zeppelin, and we'll be there. If you can, please leave a review and a rating. It's always greatly appreciated. If you want to get in touch with me, go ahead and reach me at contact at ZepFan.com. Enjoy your day. Enjoy your night. See ya.